grief can be lonely and isolating, especially for those experiencing pregnancy and infant loss. At times, it may even feel as if the sorrow might consume you. Welcome to the Birthies Loss Support Podcast. Join me, your host, Michelle Smith, as I hold a much-needed space for grief, remembrance, and the journey of healing through conversations with grief and trauma experts, the sharing of stories of loss and love, as well as guided meditations. Hello and welcome. I'm so grateful that you are here. This episode marks the beginning of Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month and the one-year anniversary of the podcast. Thank you for listening and thank you to all of my amazing guests. I know this is a podcast that we all wish didn't need to exist, and yet perinatal loss is still a very sad and tragic reality in life. I do hope that the podcast has been a helpful resource for you as you navigate your own journey of grief and loss or are supporting others. I know how valuable in healing the brave stories from parents and the conversations with experts have been for me. In this very special anniversary episode, I am very honored to have with me Michelle Bignot. She is a certified grief recovery specialist parent, mentor, and founder of Good Grief Parenting, whose purpose is to support parents who are raising young bereaved siblings after child loss. Her mission is to be the voice for the youngest of grievers and to help parents nurture and understand the unique needs of children who have lost a sibling in early childhood. She spent more than 20 years learning all she can about early childhood sibling loss its lifelong impact on the surviving sibling, and how parents can help their bereaved child grow up whole and happy. Michelle equips parents with tools to help their family heal after child loss, to foster hope, to build resilience. Parents who work with Michelle tap into their own wisdom to gain the insights, skills, and confidence to live forward toward a future bright with possibilities and joy. She brings a wealth of knowledge to parents in her work and in our conversation. Welcome, Michelle, to the podcast. I am incredibly grateful and honored to have you here with me today. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. You feel like it's not appropriate to say, I'm so excited to have you here to talk about grief, but what we're talking about, I feel is so vital. And I did have that beautiful conversation with Laura regarding children and grief, Mm -hmm. but I'm so excited to go a bit deeper into this and to have you share more about young children and grief and the ways that parents can care for themselves and navigate their own grief and their child's grief. Yes, I just think that when we are a bereaved parent and we have other young children to raise, we are being asked to do two of the hardest things we'll ever have to do in our lives at the same time. Yes. And that is to grieve a loved one, which is 
such hard work and to parent a young child in those formative early childhood years when there's so much to pay attention to and so much that we need to give them without the overlay of a life that we didn't plan for, just a total loss of dreams and a whole detour in parenting, as I kind of refer to it. And so it's really, really the hardest place that we could ever find ourselves in. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I know how difficult it was to grieve and support my daughter when she lost two grandmas within six months of each other. And I'm grieving and she's grieving, but to lose a child within that, I mean, all grief is valid, but there is just something about as a parent losing your child. Yes. You know, I hesitate to classify any grief or say any grief is worse than another. Child loss is often referred to as the worst loss. And I think that's why siblings are often so overlooked is because people think about how devastating it is for a parent to lose a child. And there just really is so much wrapped up in that, you know, just the whole idea of the dreams you had. And and I don't really want to use this word, but um, it's the one that comes to mind, the legacy that our child is, all of the hopes we have for them. Yeah. There's so much wrapped up in that identity, you know, the parent's identity and all of those things that are lost when a child dies. So. Yeah, it's a very unique and deep grief. It is. And the child loses their identity Mm -hmm. as the sibling. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you mind sharing what brought you to this work? Yes, I was a little bit later in a parent. I became a parent in the last half of my 30s. And, you know, I had had some good careers in education and communications, but when I became a parent, it just became the most important and exciting and interesting thing to me. And so I went back to school and got my master's in family education and an early childhood parent educator license. Every school district here in Minnesota has early childhood family education. So I got the perfect job doing this had my second child just before I graduated with that and thought I everything was perfect. I got to spend my days with parents who were raising young children like I was. And I had these two young children. And so it was really becoming a parent that brought me into the world of early childhood. But then just a few months into my first year of being a parent educator and spending my days with other families, my son at the age of four was diagnosed with cancer. Oh my gosh. And my daughter was only 15 months old. Oh my gosh. And she certainly, I learned so much from him about just the resilience and the just the stamina and just the amazing enthusiasm of children going through something like this. But then beside him was this little girl who was just such a case study for me about the experience of the sibling who is so often not even really, you know, we try to protect them from it. 
a lot of families that we met at the hospital didn't bring their other children there. They didn't want them to be exposed to that. But very early in our journey, my daughter really demonstrated how deeply this was impacting her. And we thought, we're not going to have her by herself at home while the three of us are doing this together. She's going to be here too. And it really was the best decision we could have made. She got to spend those two and a half years with her brother and deepen that relationship and understand what was going on. And two and a half years later, he died Mm -hmm. and she was three and a half. And she actually at that tender age said to me, mommy, half of me is gone. So, and I was an early childhood parent educator. I understood how critical these formative years were for any child under the best of circumstances. And now my daughter was saying half of her was gone and her whole lifetime was ahead of her. But I thought, okay, I know where to find the resources. I'm in the field. I'm going to find help. And I really did not find anyone who could help me know how to do this. And this was 22 years ago. And There is more now, but not a lot more because what I've recognized now that I've raised my daughter is that it isn't just about the loss at the time. It's about the whole change of her life trajectory as a bereaved sibling, her identity for the rest of her life in middle school, in high school, in college, all of those different transitions of her life are impacted by losing half of herself when she was three and a half. So I now have good grief parenting to help parents recognize the whole journey that's ahead of them and what these young children in these early childhood years who are so often overlooked need from us. And it's not that hard. We just need permission as parents to know how to meet these kids' needs because they're very unique needs of a bereaved sibling in early childhood years. I like the way you put that because I think, one, there's not enough information. And I say this over and over again, but as David Kessler says, we're really a grief illiterate culture. Yes. So we don't have the examples of what to do. And we're just deep and raw in that grief. And then we want to do the best by our child and and you don't want to make a mistake and you don't know what to do. So even having guidelines and permission to it's okay to grieve with your child or any number of things, I feel like what you're doing is so valuable. It just will make such a difference for families because when we lose a child, we cannot even see our way forward. And you mentioned David Kessler. And, you know, when I became a bereaved mom, I had not experienced grief like this. I didn't quote unquote know how to do it. And as a parent who had a young child and I knew I was her role model and I knew I felt so responsible for her. Yes. And I didn't know how to do this. And I read about the stages of grief and I thought, I'm not doing those. That's not what I'm experiencing. This is not 
realistic for me. What am I doing wrong? I'm doing it wrong. Well, I've since learned that, you know, those stages actually were not designated by Elizabeth Keebler Ross as stages of grief. They are stages that an adult or a person goes through when they have their own diagnosis of impending death. And so I, that's quite different. And I didn't experience grief that way. And I did get some good guidance from the hospital where we were and the grief support groups that they had that helped me to recognize that early on so that I didn't continue in that place of feeling like I was doing grief wrong. Because of course, we can't do grief wrong. We do it the way that our bodies respond to it all of the ways that our thoughts and our physical bodies and our emotions and all of those things come into play are as unique as each griever is. Yeah. And I'm currently training with David Kessler to be Mm. one of his grief educators. Mm-hmm. And awesome. he would agree 100% with what you just said. <laughs> so, yes. In my experience that mm-hmm. he, he says that the stages were never meant to be this linear experience. And it did begin with observing those that are dying by Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. So there is this, what word do I want? I'm just going to say misunderstanding that the stages are this linear thing that we're going to go through. And if we don't go through it that way, we're doing it wrong or, Oh, I got through all five of them and now I'm done. And then not realizing that they're going to circle back around. Yes. And he talks about even you can do a few of the stages within a few minutes at different Mm -hmm. times in your Mm -hmm. grief journey. Yes. Yeah. And it's just one of those models of grief. Right. There's several different ones. Yes. And that's another thing that I help families with is sometimes looking at the progression of grief. Mm. And again, it doesn't mean you go from point A to point D and you're done, but you do address different tasks. Mm Mm-hmm. I talk about William Warden's four tasks of mourning. Yeah. And that's helpful to people to recognize that we can see our progress in the fact that, you know, we're not in the devastation. For example, for me, after 22 years, I still very much have grief. I live with it. I will forever. But I'm not in that devastating first stage. And even after a year or two, we're not necessarily in the same devastation. It still is heartbreaking and we don't know what to do with it, but we really do progress. And then the other theory that I think is so important for families with children is that whole idea of continuing bonds and carrying that loved one forward. Yes, yes. And there's a therapist here locally in Central Florida, and he's run a support group for parents that have experienced pregnancy and infant loss. Mm, And mm -hmm. he's amazing, Gary Vogel, and he's been on the podcast. But one of the things that he talks about is that we have to learn how to parent our child. We're still our child's parent. Yes. And as you and I are talking, I'm thinking the sibling has the same task to continue to be that sibling. Yes. 
oh, Michelle, this is what I discovered along the way. And it really is, as you know, so much of the message that I want parents to hear. And that is the idea that even these really young children and even the baby, the sibling who was lost, maybe even before they came out into the world or soon after or in their early years, there is still a relationship that the living child is so keenly aware of. Once you have a sibling, you are a sibling for the rest of your life. And the person that I found who really helped me to understand this was a woman named Betty Davies, who talks about sibling loss and how impactful it is. And one of the stories she shares, it's actually a story that I think she encountered often, was finding an adult who maybe came to hear her because of their experience as an adult and went away realizing that this feeling of something being amiss, something being missing that they had carried for their whole life and not really been able to put their finger on was they realized after hearing her was actually the death of a sibling when they had been very young. Perhaps it was a twin, perhaps it was a baby who never came home or a sibling they lost who was two. But these people who, when they heard her message, realized that they were carrying this loss and that it deeply impacted them all the way through their lives and they didn't know what it was. And this is often because the adults don't know what to do with the loss and they don't know what to do with a young child when there's loss. So they don't talk about it. We know how the loss of a loved one can just become an elephant in the room because there are not conversations about this loved one. And that's why it is so important to recognize, as you say, that the relationship continues even though that child has died. It continues for the parents, which is why they can never parent in the same way again, because they're always aware that there's a child they want to be parenting who isn't there. You can't parent the same way when you've lost a child. And then, you know, also for the sibling who has this connection, even though they didn't get to live in the physical with this sibling. Yeah. That is such a different way to look at it, isn't it? Yes. Yes. And I've coined the term with my daughter and for kids like this as that they are siblings by heart. Of course, my daughter was three and a half when her brother died and it was an older brother. So she'd had this physical relationship for three and a half years and she had no other siblings, but she was still a sibling. And so that identity is their siblings by heart. And that's true of the child who loses the baby sibling as well. There still is that heart connection. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's interesting how many little ones realize mommy's pregnant mm-hmm. before mommy realizes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yes, that's so true. When we were trying to get pregnant again, my son told me he wanted a sister. And very soon after he said that, I found out I was pregnant. And as it turns out, she was a sister. So I I often think of that. He just somehow sort of, I think, instinctively knew that. I, I believe that. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a connection there before 
mm-hmm. the baby's conceived a lot of times. And so it makes sense that connection would continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just in a different way. So what would you want parents to know if they're deep in grief from losing a child and they have a little one or other children that they're parenting? One of the things that I think we, well, there's a lot. (laughs) There are four keys that I typically give parents when I'm asked to give people takeaways. And the first one really is that as parents who want to take care of kids when we're grieving, we need to take care of ourselves first. We need to practice self-care. And it's not a matter of I take care of myself or I take care of my child. People often ask me, how do you recommend that parents balance it? And I really say it's not a matter of balancing as much as it's a matter of just going through it together. Even with really young children, We need to be honest about how we're feeling. It's okay for them to see us be sad, to be crying, to be upset. Obviously, if you're going to become hysterical, which we can, maybe you don't want your child to see your hysteria. It can be kind of alarming to a young child, but certainly to help them understand that you're feeling these things, it helps to validate the reality of what they are Mm -hmm. feeling, whether they're showing you or not, whether it's visible to you or not, they are feeling much of what you're feeling. They're feeling the insecurity of knowing that their parent is upset. Their parent doesn't feel as solid as they used to. And that can be really scary for a child. So for you to take care of yourself and tell your child that you need to, that you're doing this, you're teaching them how important it is to take care of ourselves when we're grieving that it's normal and natural to feel these big feelings and to not quite know what to do with them. And then to invite conversation, even with a really young child, when you tell them, I'm feeling this way, do you feel this way too? Or, you know, when you think about David, when do you miss him the most? Or some of these things that invite the child to tell you about their reality These are just really small but huge things to do with a child to open up the conversation. They may not want to talk a lot at first, but what you're doing is telling them it's okay for them to talk about it whenever they want to because they've got a whole lifetime of processing this loss and they're going to want to talk about it at some point. So inviting conversation is really important as I said, continuing that bond and having ways that you speak about the child that you say, what do you think David would be doing right now if he were here? Or what do you think our baby would look like if he were here to have his first birthday today? You know, some of those things that continue the bond. And the other thing, Michelle, that is so important is using the accurate words when we talk to children. This is hard for us as adults. When my son died, I choked on those words to say that my son died. It was really hard for me to connect this 
exuberant, bright life with the idea of death. And so for parents, even with a young child who doesn't understand what death is, to give them the accurate words so that they can grow into it. And we just tell them, you know, their body stopped working. I was listening to your conversation with Laura, and she was talking about her lesson with the kids about decomposing. Yeah. And one of the things that, you know, we told Deanna was that David didn't need his body anymore. It was just a shell for him and that he's still with us in spirit. And she experienced this, Mm. you know, kids experience this. I remember one time when I was really feeling sad and I was crying. And, you know, of course we talked about how he was still with us. And I said, I'm sad because David isn't here physically to give me hugs anymore. And she looked at me and she said, oh, mommy, he still hugs me. Oh, I love that. She was so aware of his presence. So Yes. So use the word dead and died. The body stops working. It can't do any of the things it used to do. They don't need their body anymore. And then just to honor kids grief, because it will look different than ours and honor grief of all kinds. You know, when the grasshopper they thought they were going to keep as a pet died and they're really sad about it you know, honor that grief as well. So these are some keys that I give parents, the self-care, the accurate words, the inviting conversation, and then just honoring child-sized grief, because there's a lot of that as well in childhood. And to honor that is helping them to learn about the validity of grief and loss. Hey, I'm going to pause this episode for just a moment to ask, Are you a birth postpartum doula, bereavement doula, mental health professional, midwife, religious or spiritual leader, OBGYN, prenatal yoga teacher, or a bereaved parent yourself wanting to deepen your capacity to support parents experiencing pregnancy and infant loss? Along with my co-teacher, Noelle, we are now offering a holding space for pregnancy loss training. This course was created by the amazing Amy Wright Glenn and is affiliated with the Institute for the Study of Birth, Breath, and Death. In this five-hour training, you will be guided through the art of companioning those going through baby loss, how to help strengthen their support networks, and how they can incorporate the healing power of ritual as they walk through the immense grief of perinatal loss. You will find the links to the course in the show notes or email me directly at michelle at birthyservices.com for more information. All are welcome and we would be honored to have you join us in this most sacred work of holding space. Now back to our conversation. Yeah, as she said that, I'm thinking if we have a goldfish that dies and we don't want our child to be sad and so we flush it or dispose of it mm-hmm. and then go buy a new one so they don't know, then we're not really preparing them Yes, for death and loss. Yes. And we want to protect them so much. And in that, sometimes people say things and I'm hoping you can touch on this a little bit more of, I think 
the photography is really beautiful for now I lay me down to sleep, but the term, you know, the baby sleeping or Mm -hmm. those different euphemisms, you know, and there are two pieces to that. And one is, as I already said, that we as adults choke on the word death and died because we don't use it. And so that's one reason why we use the euphemisms. But the other reason is we're trying to soften it for the child. And really, that is one of the least helpful things we can do for two reasons. One, as you say, I say childhood is the best time to learn about loss and grief, just like it's the best time to learn so many other things that we teach kids about in childhood so that we can grow up to be adults who do these things well. Mm -hmm. And so when you have the opportunity, you know, I mean, it was what I, of course, in my case, and when we lose a loved one, we can't hide it. But I, with my daughter, kept saying to myself, this is not what I want for her, but this is what I've got. So we're going to go right through this. We have no choice. Well, even when we have a choice, let's use it instead as a teachable moment to talk about the goldfish and to say, how should we remember the goldfish? Or when something dies, when a living person or an animal dies, we can have a funeral for it. Should we do that? Right. You know, those kinds of ways of remembering why what we lost meant something to us. It is teaching kids about the reality it's making them comfortable with that reality so that they can grow up to be adults who know how to talk about it and support other people. And the other piece about using the euphemisms is that children know what sleep is, for example, and they go to bed and they wake up. And when the baby doesn't wake up, it makes them fear their own sleep or your sleep. Does that mean someday mom's going to go to sleep and never move again, or I'm going to go to sleep and never move again? So kids are very literal. Yeah. And when we give them other words, if it means something to them, like sleep, one person told me that their dad told their child that grandma had gone to the moon. Seems harmless enough. But then they learned that the child was learning about astronauts and wanting to become an astronaut so they could go to the moon and visit grandma. Still harmless, because of course, that's not going to happen. But the child doesn't understand what really happened, that grandma died and what that means. So and then we use other words like past or something vague like gone. And Mm -hmm. children think, you know, if they're gone, they can come back. And so they're expectant that this person will appear again. And that's why they'll ask us. So there are all kinds of issues with that. And that's why I say dead and died have a very specific meaning. And those are the only words that accurately tell children what happened. And they may not understand death. They don't at a young age understand death the way that we do, but they still have the accurate word and they're going to grow into that understanding. And then you can use teachable moments to talk about what death means and help them to understand it. Yeah. And as you say that, I'm thinking 
we can use those teachable moments to show how we respond to grief and death and loss. Yes, exactly. Instead of just hiding it away. Right, right. And they need to know how it's appropriate to act. If we don't share those real reactions with them, then they're learning something very different that we're not intending to teach them at all. And that is that it's not okay to respond in those ways that we should hide it because they know whether we tell them or not. And they're learning from us, sometimes not at all what we intend for them to learn. So just being forthright with kids age appropriately, not giving them all of the details. My niece's daughter's dad died by suicide. And that's a very hard thing to address with a child. You don't give them all of those details when they're really little, because that opens up a whole can of worms. But yes, we give them enough information to satisfy their needs at the time so they can grow into a greater understanding as they grow up. Yeah. They usually kind of lead you because you tell them that little bit of factual things and then you can tell when they have enough because they disengage. Right. And that's so important what you just said, Michelle, and that is let them lead us. We give them a little bit of information, just enough to satisfy in the moment. And if they want to know more, they'll ask more and then you answer that question. But yeah, we don't need to give them a lot of information. Just whatever we give them needs to be honest and accurate. Yeah, that's so important. Mm -hmm. It is. I'm wondering... Can you share maybe some guidance? Oh, we have a toddler or a baby and we've experienced a loss or we have preschool age child or maybe a kindergartner, like some of those ways that we can support and respond to their grief. Yes. You know, I think the most important thing I feel to share with adults with kids that age is that they are, and I've said it already, but I'll go into more detail with this. They are experiencing the loss painfully. They're experiencing grief. They're experiencing confusion. They're experiencing fear because they don't know what's going to happen. All of these things, whether we see it in them or not, And often we don't see it. Parents will often say, you know, when they're asked how the kids are doing, they'll say, well, I think they're doing okay. I don't notice anything. You're not necessarily likely to because children process by playing. They process physically Mm -hmm. by doing the things that they do to explore their life experiences. Mm -hmm. And they don't have vocabulary like we do. So they're not going to come to you. I mean, I don't know how many three and a half year olds would ever be able to articulate mommy half of me is gone. To me, that was just such an amazing revelation of how she was processing her brother's death. And it really was what made me realize, okay, if there's nothing out there to help me, there's nothing out there to help anyone else. So this is the message. And that is, you know, if they're acting out, my daughter became very well behaved. Mm -hmm. 
She didn't complain. She didn't want to upset anybody. In fact, we talked to her when her brother was going through his hospitalizations, and she went through her quote unquote terrible twos and threes as good as gold. And we would say to her, honey, it's okay. You don't have to be okay with this. It's okay for you to be mad because she just never was processing any of that. Mm -hmm. Had I not been in early childhood, I may not have recognized that it wasn't necessarily a good sign. It wasn't a bad sign, but it wasn't necessarily a good sign that she seemed so okay. It was her way of processing something really hard for her. So this is what I want parents to recognize is that kids are experiencing it, whether you see it or not. And you don't necessarily need to sit them down and have conversations with them. You can ask them from time to time, do you have any questions? Is there anything you want to know? Is there anything you wonder about? Is there anything you want to talk to me about? As I said before, when we're experiencing our feelings, we can ask them, do you want to tell me how you feel about this? Or just ask them questions, invite them to talk. The other thing that we can always do as parents, even without, you know, intentionally confronting the fact that there's loss and grief, and do you want to talk about it, is to just recognize that kids are learning about themselves and their place in the world through this experience. And I mentioned Betty Davies' book, Shadows in the Sun. And she also addresses in there the ways that young children can process this kind of family experience with messages about themselves that we as adults don't recognize. A child who's observing all of this going on in the family and they're not involved in what's happening because the adults are trying to protect them may feel very confused and have the idea that I don't understand. And so they feel confused. They may be hurting inside and not know what to do with that feeling of hurt. They may notice that there's all of these things going on around them and they're not a part of it. And maybe the other child in my daughter's case, where the child was older, they may feel like they no longer belong. The parents are so concerned about the child who died. The parents who lost a baby or a toddler, older sibling may feel like they don't belong because there's so much heartbreak and attention about the child who died. And the one who lives may also feel that they're not enough. So she talks about these four messages. I don't understand. I hurt inside. I don't belong and I'm not enough. And the way that we can help kids with these messages is by giving them what I call essential messages. And those are just the critical life messages that all children in any family at any age need to get from adults. You know, that's the other piece that I think is so important. The way to reinforce healing and well-being for these siblings that remain is to just continue to say, you know, I miss your brother, but I am so glad that you're here. I love you so much and you are so important to me. Or when we're noticing that they're feeling something for them to get the message from us. And it's not always in words. Of course, it can be actions or interactions 
your feelings matter. You are capable. We are capable of handling this. I know you can handle this. I'm going to help you learn how to handle this. When they have big feelings and they're acting out, I know that you're experiencing big feelings right now, and it's hard to manage big feelings. And I'm going to help you know how to help yourself, how to do things that can help you feel better so that you can handle your big feelings. All of these kinds of things are the essential messages that help kids when they're grieving. So it sounds like in grief, it's more important than ever to have those good foundational developmentally relevant parenting skills. Absolutely. You know, I have good grief parenting. It is all of the ways that I try to help families who have lost a child who are raising young children, but I could take everything in this program and give it to any parent out there and say, this is what your child needs because all children need this. And yes, the whole key is when we're grieving, it's hard. It's hard to attend to our parenting. But just to remember those essential messages. Yes, that's so foundational and so basic. Yeah, yeah. So I have a question in this balance of we want to be open with what's going on and grieve together with our child. But where can there perhaps be a line crossed where we're, I don't know if I want to use the word projecting, but where our child is carrying our grief, where we might be relying too much on our child to share our grief instead of perhaps with a partner or a friend or our own parent. Does that make sense when I'm asking? Yes, absolutely. It makes sense. And it's such an important question, Michelle. And I just really thank you for asking that because that is important to talk about when we say we go through grief together. And when we say that young children can be exposed to it. And that is, I think when I talk about self care, we talk about self-care like we all know what it is. And we don't necessarily, we don't necessarily all know what it is. And so your child is not there to be your self-care. You know, when you need to talk about what's going on with you and you have young children, even older children, you know, even teens, to not burden them with, to be open about it when they catch you in it or when it's occupying you, but not to burden them with it. So self-care means being sure that you have appropriate places to get your support so that your child doesn't become your support because that's a burden that they should not have. And they do pick that up. That's part of what my daughter at the age of three and a half and even younger when David was alive and we were still in the hospital, that's part of what she was doing. She knew that we were dealing with this and she didn't want to add our hardship in any way. She was doing that at a very young age. And so that's why it's important not only for us to tell the child, you are capable of handling this, but I'm capable of handling this. We're sad right now, but we're not always going to be this sad. We're going to get through this. We're going to heal And 
to be sure as a family that you do find ways in the midst of your grief to go disconnect from it to what extent you can, you know, to go do fun things together as a family, to enjoy life together as a family. This is so important. And one way to normalize your grief is in the midst of that, to mention your loved one in a happy way, as I already said, boy, don't you think David would just love this if he were here? What do you think he'd be doing right now? And not talk about, oh, how I miss him, but just remember him in a happy, life-filled way. And so, yes, that is just so important. And as parents, we're not always going to know to do it right. I guess the other message I want to give parents is as we talk about all the do's and don'ts, I don't want them to come across that way. I want parents to recognize that it's okay to be in grief with their child, that that's healthy, that that's good for their family. But if they feel like they overstepped or they, you know, lost control in some way and their child witnessed it, and maybe their child even got scared, that's okay. You're not going to do everything right. And then you go to your child and say, mommy was really, really upset. And I'm sorry if that scared you. Sometimes I'm going to have these big feelings too, but we're going to be okay. And just go back and rectify that with your child in that way. The biggest thing is you're teaching them that you're human and they're human and you're building resilience skills and learning along the way. Yes. So I think that's just really important. But thank you for asking that question, because we always as parents wonder about that, you know, what's appropriate and what's not, and we're never going to figure it all out. Right. But I think it's a good caution that you raise. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it happen sometimes Mm -hmm. and it's not intentional. It just can happen. And so It's that ring theory of dumping in and dumping out, Mm -hmm. I think. And when we're deep in grief, our children are around us. And with our children, we want to hold their grief and our own, but we don't want to dump our grief into them. We need to dump out to friends or therapists or support groups and things like that. Yes. And I know even in all the grief my family experienced in the last three and a half years is in supporting my father and my children and, and we can grieve together, but I was supporting everyone. So I really need to go out to get my own support. So I'm supported. So I'm not just being the sole support for everyone. And trying to navigate my own intense grief. Yes. And so finding those places of support are so important. And just, it can be as simple as a friend, I think, who is comfortable talking about grief and can sit with you in it. Absolutely. And listening to you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And not trying to fix you or coming Mm -hmm. from this, you're broken or even though we can feel that way, but sometimes they're hard to find, but there are people that can really sit with you in that grief. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that is another important point for parents 
with their children is we don't feel comforted typically by friends who try to make us feel better and try to fix it because it's unfixable. Yeah. And yet we may turn around and do that to our children. Mm. Uh, let's go do this. You're sad. Let's go do this. Let's go make your favorite cookies. Let's go do this. You know, we try to cheer them up. We try to make them feel better. And we oughtn't do that with children either. We need to just allow them to feel their feelings and not try to make them feel better. And sometimes we do that because we're so uncomfortable with it. And in, I have actually do have a resource that you can put in the show notes called the oh, good okay. grief guide, where I do suggest some actual ways to change some of those conversations that come so naturally to us with children, where we're always trying to make them feel better. They don't have to feel better. Grief isn't a time when anyone feels better. So we don't need to give them that message that they should cheer up. There are some other ways that we can have those conversations. And that is why recognizing what self-care is and what you need is so important. And then telling your child, I'm going to go out with my friend tonight because that's just a way that I'm going to take care of myself, you know, or I'm going in my room to be alone for a few minutes. I'm going to ask you to play out here. Mommy just needs some quiet time right now. You're modeling for them that you can disconnect from your child. You don't always have to be doing your grief with them. You can go take care of your grief in other ways as well. And it's important for them to see that. Yes, yes. I'm so glad that our conversation took this turn in that because you're so right that where we might be wanting to fix our child's grief. Mm -hmm. And it's impossible. It's so hard. Yeah. But it's impossible. Yeah. So can you share a little bit more about your program and how people can get in touch with you? Yes. Two ways I would recommend to get in touch with me are my website, goodgriefparenting.com. That's goodgriefparenting.com. And then my link tree link at Good Grief Parenting in one link where you can schedule an appointment with me, you can get my Good Grief Guide, you can find some other resources there. And so Good Grief Parenting, if you just remember that is going to take you to me to connect. And my program is really two things that I offer to families that have experienced child loss and are raising early childhood age children. And I have a six-month coaching program. It's focused on parenting and building those parenting skills informed by grief. And so looking at the things that we as adults you know, as David Kessler, you referenced him earlier, says our society just really doesn't know how to do grief in healthy ways. So much of what we've learned is not healthy or helpful. So in my program, we start there just really understanding what healthy grief is. That's why I call my program Good Grief Parenting and teaching that healthy grief to children using parenting skills. 
And then I also have a course called See Your Way Forward After Child Loss that is just a good comprehensive course for getting your footing in all of the things that are overturned, all of the upheaval in your life after losing a child. So those are my programs. They sound amazing. And what I've read on your website and getting to talk with you, it's an incredible and much needed resources. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, it's just sounds amazing. And I encourage you parents to reach out because these resources, as I said, are much, much needed. And the more I look into it, the more it impresses me, honestly. Mm -hmm. You know, I really, I did not find anything like this when I needed it. I guess the thing that I really want to say is that it is a hopeful approach to living forward after losing a child. Mm -hmm. When your dreams have been shattered, I thought I had this perfect family and then my son got cancer and then he died and it was not at all what I wanted it to be. But my daughter was three and a half and she had her whole lifetime ahead of her. So good grief parenting will help families live forward, not just in the time of loss. There's a quote I found by an author named Anne Royfe, who wrote this in her book after her husband died. She said, there are two parts to grief. The first part is loss. And the second part is the remaking of life. And often we find support with the loss. That's what grief support groups give us is help us get acclimated to the loss. But what about that remaking of life when you've got your whole lifetime ahead of you, your child has their whole lifetime ahead of them. And that's where I come in so that you can live forward toward a future bright with possibilities and even joy. So there is hope after losing a child. And that's what I want to give families and the tools to take a hold of that hope. Yeah, I got goosebumps as you were talking. Mm -hmm. All of that is so important. And so I'm so grateful for this conversation. And before we close it out, is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know? I think I just gave you that, you know, it just really is because I know what it's like to be in that place where we are so devastated and it is really hard to see our way forward. There's so much in that, that little person beside us can get lost in the shuffle, even though we just desperately don't want them to. And I use this analogy, I guess, about a lemon. You know, we all talk about making lemonade. But when we lose a child, we have this big, fat lemon. And we don't want it. We don't want to deal with it. And we can either bite into it, and it's bitter, and it's sour, and we throw it against the wall. Or we can say, I'm not going to deal with this lemon. And you put it on the kitchen counter and you don't look at it and you don't talk about it and it sits there and rots. Or you can say, okay, I have this big fat lemon. I need to do something with it. And you can slice it up and you can add water and you can add sugar and stir it and make the best pitcher of lemonade that you can. 
And so that is what I really want families to recognize is that it's your choice what you do with this situation. And there can be a hopeful future for you. And I hope that you choose that. And I just wish you health and healing and peace in going forward from losing a child. Yes. Yes. Thank you. That's a brilliant analogy because I think the choices of what to do with the lemon get left out of just make lemonade, right? In the bad situations. Mm -hmm. Thank you again for this conversation. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate being here. It was really nice to talk with you. Oh, it was amazing. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Please go check out Michelle's website, goodgriefparenting.com. I know that you will find lots of wisdom and pearls that can help you even in the reading of it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this episode helpful and it provided you some comfort or insights. For a list of bereavement resources or to connect with me for grief support, please visit my website at birthyservices.com backslash loss support. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Birthies Law Support. If you would like to help to support me in this work to hold space for grieving families, one of the simplest and best ways is to please follow, rate, review, and share, and share again this podcast. And please be kind, compassionate, and patient with yourself as you walk this journey of grief, remembrance, and renewed hope. Remember, there is no right way to grieve the loss of your baby or your loved ones.